Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Hello everyone. Hello Andrew. My name's Andrew. So hello everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Um, before I pray for us, and we get into things, I just thought of this song. Um, I'm quite a Matt Redman fan. I don't know if any of you have heard of that guy. He's written a few songs that we've sung. There's a song called Seeing You, a very old song by Matt Redman on a very good album called Face Down. Go and download it. It's worth it. And uh, the lyrics go like this. It says, this is a time for seeing and singing. This is a time for breathing you in and breathing out your praise. Our hearts respond to your revelation. All you are showing, all we have seen, commands a life of praise. No one can sing of things they have not seen. God, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse, the glory of you, the glory of you. God, open our eyes towards a greater glimpse. In the bridge, the end of the song, it says, worship starts with seeing you. Worship starts with seeing you. Our hearts respond to your revelation. Think about that. Worship starts with seeing you. Worship starts with seeing you. Our hearts respond to your revelation. Lord, tonight we just thank you that we can be in your presence. You paid the price for this, God. You paid the price so that we could be here, enjoy you, engage with you, experience you, Lord. We thank you, God. We thank you, Lord. We thank you tonight, God. You made, a way. you made the way. You made the way, Lord. Thank you. Lord, tonight we come before you and we open our hearts. We want to hear you. We want to see you, God. God, tonight we want to see you, and in our lives, God, we want to see you more clearly. And then in seeing you, we want to respond, God. We want to respond with our lives, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. My name's Andrew. I know some faces. There's actually new faces since last time I was here, but uh, hello, everyone. I'm in Shofar Randburg. I was on staff for a year at church, and now I'm back working full-time in the coffee industry. That's where I work. Uh, I'm working for a company that imports unroasted coffee, so green coffee. We import from all around the world, straight from origin, and uh, we sell it locally to roasters in this country. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm married. My wife's name is Cara. We've been married for eight years, and we've got two children, Luke and Ava. Luke is four, Ava's two. They're keeping our lives very busy. Uh, Ava, I don't want to say it even from the mic because it's just too dangerous, but in the past two weeks, she's 
pretty much been sleeping through for the first time in two years, two and a half years, three years almost. And uh, yeah, sure. Can't believe it yet. We have, my wife and I don't even speak about it because we don't want to, you know, <laughs> we're scared. If we start talking about it, what's going to happen, you know? But anyway, so we are grateful. We're sleeping better. I feel like a new man. I really feel good. <laughs> um, guys, please, you, you don't have children yet. Children are amazing. <laughs> they really are. They really are. And the reward is bigger, hey? The reward is bigger than the, than the challenge and the sacrifices. But, um, but that's me. Uh, I've been in Shofar for, for about 17 years. Uh, been quite a few different congregations as, I've, as my life has unfolded. <laughs> and, uh, and I love worship. Worship is what makes my heart beat faster, um, usually in time with a drummer. But uh, that's just a stupid joke. But um, I love worship. But worship is also a really hard thing to, what is it? You know, we're going to speak about it a bit tonight, but what is worship? And it's hard to define, but, uh, but it is something that I keep thinking about, and I keep kind of wondering, you know, what is it, and, and do I have the right definition? But, um, but tonight we're going to speak about it a bit. I might, it might feel like I'm dropping a few bombs here, I'm sorry. But, uh, but I really feel this is a word from the Lord, and, uh, <laughs> and I'm just going to share. And a lot of it you might have to just take home and think about and pray about and, uh, and go to Scripture, because that's where we have to be. We have to be in Scripture. We have to get truth from Scripture. We can't get it from anywhere else. We need to get truth from Scripture. Uh, when I was younger... There was a song that used to be popular. It was so silly, but it used to say, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, don't make a pretty woman your wife. <laughs> so stupid. But it was very catchy. And it was at every wedding, everything. Yeah, I don't know why it was at weddings. It shouldn't have been at weddings. Yeah. But people loved that song, and it was just a bit of a, you know. But uh, <coughs> I want to rephrase the statement, and I want to say, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, Worship God. Okay, there we go. We've redeemed it now. Okay, I'm, we, we'll, we'll try at least. But um, so many times we, I mean, now I'm finding myself, I'm getting, edging closer to 40. And uh, I'm asking myself a lot, like, am I doing the right things in my life? Am I doing what God's called me to do? Uh, am I, you know, in terms of career, what, how do I develop myself? How do I grow? Um, what should I do? How do I like keep being almost like keep getting more and more into line with with where I see life going, or where God has life going? But um, but I think we all ask like, what gives us the edge? Or like, what should I do to help me get forward? And I'm just convinced, even in the worship now, I wrote it down only now, that worshiping God is what's going to set us apart. <laughs> worshiping God is what's going to give us the edge in life. <laughs> worshiping God is the most important thing and most important investment that we've got to make every day. And I think of a, a, a book written by Eugene Peterson, 
Eugene Peterson, I think he passed away last year or this year, but he wrote a book called <laughs> A Long Obedience in the, in the Same Direction. A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And I'm challenged, I'm super challenged by this stuff, but worshiping God is what our lives are about. It is what our lives are about. And if you're a Christian, most of us are, I know you know this battle. I know you know it. That life happens, things grab our attention, and we get excited about stuff, and God is there pulling us back, pulling us back, pulling us back. Worshiping God is what is, is the most is the ultimate in our life. And what is worshiping God? We're gonna speak about that now. What is worship? So worship as a word in the Old Testament is used many times, the same word. Uh, I can't pronounce it very well, but the Hebrew is shakar, and it means to bow in reverence. And it's the contrast of exalting. So when we bow and we submit under, so we submit under. In the New Testament, that word is translated proskunio in Greek, and it means the same. It means to prostrate to oneself, to kiss the hand, or reverence. I've, I've thought about this a bit, and I just, for me, and just to apply to every area of my life, worship I see it like this. Worshiping God is seeing God and responding by submitting our hearts under Him. That is worship. Worship is seeing God and then responding to Him by submitting our hearts under Him, by giving Him our heart and submitting it under Him. In other words, He's the King over our heart. Okay? Unfortunately, that definition works in every area of our lives, whatever we worship. Because worship is a response. Worship is a response of us seeing something, maybe not God, maybe something else. We see something and we respond by submitting our heart under it, our heart. And that's the danger. That's the danger because it, it's, it affects our whole lives. I'm going to skip a few scriptures just about worship, but Psalm 95, Psalm 99, beautiful scriptures about worship. John 4, we'll touch on it later. Revelation 4, Isaiah 6. Bottom line is, for me especially, as a, I'm a musician, I love, I love worship. Um, I've been in worship teams since almost since I got saved uh, about 22 years ago. And I can honestly say that worship is not an event. And I've been to many events. I've been to many events. I've been to great events. I've been to amazing events where you have incredible experiences. But worship is not that. Worship is a response to seeing God and submitting your heart under him. A long obedience in the same direction. Because I know we go to the event, we get excited, and yes, God does amazing things at those events and changes lives. 
But many times, the Monday morning, the change hasn't happened. A long obedience in the same direction. Worship. What is our ultimate goal in life? It's a very good question to ask ourselves often. Especially as we get into life and we grow in our careers, we get married, we have children. What is our ultimate goal? What is your ultimate goal? What are your ultimate loves? What do you love? What do you really love? There's lots of things that I love. What is your heart connected to? What is your heart connected to? And where is your soul satisfaction? Now, we're going to speak about the necessity of worship. The bottom line is that everyone worships. Everyone in this world worships. No matter what that person believes, they worship. Because they see life, they see things, they see all kinds of stuff and they respond. And many times they respond putting their heart under something, submitting under something. We have a few family members that uh, they don't believe that God exists. But it's very clear if you look at their lives that they worship. <laughs> it's very interesting to see it. They don't believe that God exists, but they worship. They worship something. And you can see it. You can see it because you can see what's important to them. You can see what their heart's connected to. You can see, you know, it, it consumes you. And we're going to get to it later, but... Whatever you, you become what you worship in the end of the day. And that's also the danger. And it's, it's a great danger. We must be very sober about that every day. Because it kind of makes sense then why God starts the Ten Commandments with where he starts it. We'll get into that now. But necessity of worship. There's no third option. We worship God or we worship something else. It is, the, it is the reality of life. We worship God or we worship something else. There's no third option. So we're going to speak a bit about the, the object of our worship because it's important. It's very important. And the consequences of our worship because it's just as important. So I see three things. We're either worshiping God we're worshipping false idols. All we're worshipping, and this is the scariest one, is a build a, bear, a build a bear God. So we're worshipping a God that we've made up, a God that we've created, and sometimes looks a lot like ourselves. Okay, we'll speak a bit about that just now. I just want to stop there and say, listen, I, I'm a Christian like you. I'm a person like you. <laughs> I'm struggling day to day in life trying to be a good husband, trying to be a good father, trying to be a good worker, trying to be a good citizen, uh, trying to be a good Christian. So tonight, we've already set the table, I think. God has already set the table. 
There's no condemnation in this house. Okay, I just want to say it again. I just want to say it. There's no condemnation in this house. All right. But we're talking about these things. These are important things. These are essential things, and they are powerful things. And we want to worship God. We want to worship God. He's worthy of our worship. Idolatry. Number one. So the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 starts with, And God spoke all these things. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of a land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, what's interesting is worship starts with seeing you. An image or a form, something you can see, gives you the opportunity to respond, to see it and respond with your heart. You shall not bow down to them, these images, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And then the consequences of worship. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me. And keep my commandments. It's always stood out to me that punishing the children for the sin of the parents is third to the fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love is to a thousand generations. A thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So if we are to face, face ourselves in the mirror and be, be honest, then we have to admit that we worship at other altars. We do. We do. We worship at the altar of materialism. We worship at the altar of money, of stuff. We see things, and it's easier nowadays, unfortunately. Social media makes it much easier to worship at these altars because we are being bombarded with adverts, bombarded with visuals that make us desire, that make us want. <laughs> We worship at the altar of materialism. But isn't it possible to, to worship at two altars? Can't we do that? <laughs> can't we worship, you know, can't we worship God and stuff, please? Jesus in Matthew 6, he says, For where your treasure is, in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And Jesus himself said, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And he says, you cannot serve both God and money. 
I think that's something that you've got to take home, something that I have to take home and think about and pray about. What are you saying, Jesus? What do you mean? And this is where interpretation comes in. If you're struggling, you're welcome to message Pastor Henny. Loves this stuff. He'll give you a really good, he'll at least give you some stuff to read or to think about. But these are powerful things. I think especially in Johannesburg, I, I've been living here for three years. I lived, used to live in Cape Town. Um, yeah, you know, I just see this is, a, this is a battle. It's a battle in my life. I can tell you that. Um, so, yeah, but Jesus, that's unfair. It's unfair. You can't do that to us. <laughs> yes, he can do that to us. Because he was tempted in the same way. It says in Matthew 4, again, the devil took him to a very high place and showed him with his eyes all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Straight away, I just thought of that scripture that speaks, I think it's in, I think it might be uh, Psalm 95. It speaks about the splendor of his holiness, the splendor of God's presence. We're going to speak about that just now. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Sometimes we have to say away from me. Sometimes we have to say away from me. We can't worship and serve two masters. We can't worship God and something else, whatever it is. If we have to look at ourselves in the mirror again, we have to face, face the fact that we worship sometimes at the altar of ego. We worship at the altar of ego and pride. We worship at the altar of our careers, of how well we're doing in our careers, of how we're advancing. It's not, not a problem to advance in your career. But again, where's our heart in the midst of it? Where's our heart? And if it's, I mean, the reality is, if your heart's not in the right place, get it in the right place. <laughs> you know, this is life. It's, it's hard. Life is hard. To stay committed to Jesus, to worship God, is hard. But it's amazing, and it's worth it. So let's, let's just, like, lay our lives down, man, and, and put our hearts under Jesus this is an interesting one that's, that's gaining momentum. We worship, as human beings, we worship at the altar of science. This is happening more and more. Naturalism, environment. The problem is that we set ourselves up as a savior in this space. We set ourselves up as a savior in this space. So there's movements happening worldwide that are very much about the earth, and about saving the earth. And I am completely on board with it as a principle because God gave us this world. And we are stewards of this world. 
But the problem is there are people who flat deny that there is a God, but they love this world, and they love the earth, and they love nature. I love nature too. But there's a danger. There's a danger. We can worship at the altar of science. This is happening a lot. People walking away from faith, people walking away from God, the creator of the things that they are studying, because they worship science, they worship things, they worship sometimes their own minds, or intellectualism, the intellect. Last one in this category is we worship at the altar of ourself. We do. We worship at the altar of ourself. It manifests itself for the consequences of this worship is, is uh, addiction to substances, addiction to stuff, addiction to food, infatuation with things for ourselves. Tim Keller, I wish he didn't say this, but he did. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an idealized version of yourself. Yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshipping an idealized version of yourself. Um, I'll never forget a few years ago, at the Shofar conference, uh, Jason Upton, worship leader, was there. And he told a story about a tribe, don't know where, but that used to, at sunset, march along the mountains to a specific place. And they used to stand in this place, and at that moment, the sun would be setting, and it would cast this enormous shadow on the opposite mountains, and they would worship. They would worship this glorious, huge shadow and they didn't know that they were actually worshiping themselves and that's what's so scary that's what's so scary they were worshiping themselves an image of themselves Isaiah 14 I don't know if you know the scripture but Isaiah 14 verse 12 to 15 is apparently a snippet of what happened with Satan when he fell, and it's actually insane to read it in t context of what we're speaking about. It says, how, f how you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of the dawn. You have been cast down to earth. You who once laid low the nations, you said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. Now listen to this, all the eyes. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of Mount of Assembly, on the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon. I will ascend above the top of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And then the consequences of his worship. You are brought down to the realm of the dead, to the depths of the pit. Another danger is 
a Build-A-Bear God. I don't know if you, know if you know, but the golden calf that they built at the base of the mountain when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, the golden calf that they built was actually, actually had a name, and its name was Yahweh. So the golden calf was actually called Yahweh. Again, dangerous stuff. We face it today. We face it today. What does is, what is Yahweh look like? What does Yahweh that we worship look like? It's also interesting, the Samaritans, the whole story around uh, John 4, when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, he speaks to her and they speak a bit about her sin, and, uh, and then they speak about living water. And she's a Samaritan, so she speaks about her, their knowledge of God and how they understand God. Now, what's very interesting is the Samaritans had an understanding of God, but it wasn't a complete understanding. So even in the Old Testament, they didn't adhere to all the Old Testament scripture about God giving the character and the, and the person of God. They didn't adhere to all those teachings. So they had a, an idea of God, but they didn't have the full picture. Scripture. Scripture is so important. A clear understanding of, of who God is in Scripture. There's so much. It's amazing. We'll get to it now in the conclusion. But we've got to be careful. Not be fearful. Not be fearful. We, if we humble ourselves and we ask God, take us, you know, show us. Are we, is there anything about you that, that is not true, that we are actually believing or that we are actually worshiping you and we're not, you know, we want to see you, God. I mean, I think we all have the same desire. We want to see him clearly. We want to know him and him alone. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. There's a scripture in James 4. I'm not going to read it now. But James 4, verse 1 to 10, speaks about the consequences of our worship if it's not worshiping God. It does say from verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I kept, when I was young, well, younger, and when I was in varsity, I was always um, thrown by that scripture that says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I took it personally all the time, and I thought, Oh my goodness, everyone else is not double-minded, but I am double-minded, and I feel awful about it. <laughs> and I do think we are all double-minded to some degree. And when we are double-minded, we, we see the consequences of it. We, we see that we are unstable <laughs> in all our ways. It's a consequence. It's like a, a principle that's set up. 
says, grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Must do this often. So we become what we worship. We become what we behold. And there are consequences to our worship. If we worship money, most of the time we become greedy. Okay? You can worship money and be poor. You can be poor and worship money. You can be rich and worship money. You can be middle class and worship money. You can be anything and worship money. It's not reserved to anyone. If we worship ourselves, it's quite obvious we become selfish. We become selfish. It's the consequence of worship. The consequence of that worship. Now, idols, a builder bear God, and now we come to worshiping God. Worshiping God. I love this. A man named Christopher Wright, he said, Israel didn't only worship a different God. To put it into context, Abraham was called out of his people to worship God. Okay? It was the start of the nation of Israel, which wasn't supposed to stop at being a nation, but it was supposed to become us today, and it has, a people who worship God, who worship Yahweh. So he says, Israel did, didn't only worship a different God, but a God who was different. Okay, let that sink in. Israel didn't only worship a different God to all the other gods out there, but a God who was different. Now what I love about God is that there is no one like him. There is no one like him. I don't know, but I don't know about you, but the God that I worship and serve and try and worship and serve, he's the only God who's laid down his life. He's the only God who's, who's come down to this world in flesh and bone, lived among us, suffered, taken, you know, he's uh, struggled in life. He's been tempted in every way. He laid down his life for us. He came here. I keep kind of thinking about that every now and again, going, 2,000 years ago, he physically walked here. He was... God was here. It's a strange, strange thing, but he was here. Our God is unique. There's no one like him. There's no one like him. No one like him. If you want to change who you are, you have to change what you worship. It's the only way. Self-help. I don't know. Self-help can help. I don't think it'll ever get to the root, to the essentials. If we worship God, if you worship God, if you give your life to Jesus and you worship him, a long obedience in the same direction, he'll change us. Man, I need, I need to change. He'll, he'll make us a better husband, a better wife. He'll make us a better mother, a better father. He'll make us a better friend, a better 
colleague and worker, he'll, he will change us. I want to end with this scripture because it's, it's absolutely powerful. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. It says, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, just a few takeaways from that scripture. We all, it's a corporate thing, okay? It's important to know the power what happened here tonight and the time that we spent in God's presence and how he moved, it's always a taste, but it was so glorious. It was so amazing. We, we were here together doing that. I just think that's amazing. Like, we, we have an opportunity all week to worship God by ourselves. You have opportunity when you drive home now to worship God by yourself, to connect with him, to spend time tomorrow morning in the word and pray. This is powerful. And I'm convinced that God changes us here. Let's go on with the scripture. We all, so corporate worship with unveiled faces. Unveiled faces means to be born again. You have to be born again to enter the kingdom of God. Unveiled face means that you can see God. You can, you can experience this. Being born again. Contemplating the Lord's glory. That actually means to meditate on the Lord's glory. And I think if we literally just set ourselves a reminder for every morning for the rest of our lives to contemplate the Lord's glory, I think we'll, be, we'll, be, we'll do well. I think we will. What does it mean? Lots of things. But let's start asking God, show me. Show me your glory. Let me see your glory. Let me, and then think about it. Ponder. Meditate. Get scripture that speaks about the magnitude of God. I always come back to that response of God to Job and his friends. I think it's in Job 37. Wow. Go read that response to Job when God enters the story 37 chapters later <laughs> to answer these people that are sitting trying to make sense of what's going on. Contemplate the Lord's glory. Contemplate. Think about it. Meditate on it. Chew. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. The Lord's glory. It's His glory. It's about His glory. It's not about our glory. It's not about any man's glory. It's about His glory. Contemplate His glory. It's the only glory that will change us. And then it says, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. We are being transformed. Now, this is where it comes to no condemnation. We are in a process of being transformed in ever-increasing glory into His image. So let's just commit to staying there in the process. Let's commit to contemplating his glory. Let's commit to, to being changed by him. But it's a process. We are being transformed. And I love this. 
which comes from the Lord. That's not anything we can do. We can't, we, we can't self-help ourselves into this. We can't self-help ourselves into becoming more like Jesus or looking more like Jesus. We can't. We do it by contemplating the Lord's glory. He transforms us into His image with ever-increasing glory. It's from the Lord. So true worship, how do you, how do you measure true worship? I, I think you can measure true worship by looking at your own life and going, I think, you know, humbly, <laughs> I feel like I'm changing. I feel like I'm changing. I feel like, and listen, I desire this. I, I want to become more like Jesus. I need to become more like Jesus. For the sake of my wife, for the sake of my children, for your sake, for every, you know, we must become more like Jesus. How do we become more like Jesus? This is it. Worship. Worshiping. Worshiping God. Because we become what we behold. Don't become like anything else. Don't become anything else. Look at God. Look at him. Worship him. And get, be changed by him. Be transformed by him. So it's always the key is you can have a great worship set. You can have amazing music. I was listening to some great music on, on Friday on my way home. Very old music by Ron Cannoli. I don't know if you know Ron Cannoli. That's like, gee, that's going back. If I, if I said Matt Redman and you don't know who that is, then you're in trouble. It's Ron Cannoli's like, like before I was born even. So it's a long time ago. But uh, amazing worship, well, that's my point. Amazing worship is when there's a response of submitting our hearts under God. And that response is our life. It's service. It's serving Him. It's living for Him. That's our response. Our response is action. Our response is we do, something happens. So, I think worship, you can say worship is happening if there's an action. There's a response to God. There's a response that moves towards Him. And there's a change. You're changing. It's a process. It's a process. I love it. Uh, I'll end with this. We can all stand. But I just love this scripture. It says... There in that really hectic James 4 scripture, very, very hectic, you know, turn your joy into mourning. I thought it was mourning into joy, but no, here the scripture says joy into mourning. In verse 6, it says, but he gives us more grace. He gives us more grace. His grace is great, and we need it. We need it every day. It tethers us to him. It tethers us to him. It, it, it keeps us attached to him because we are dependent for our life from him. He is our life source. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com